in a place known to be the land of saints and scholars, home to Saints Patrick, Bridget, and Columba. There are those that have lived lives of heroic virtue, yet are forgotten by time. These are the stories of Ireland's forgotten treasures, told by Father Gabriel Burke. Hi everybody, Father Gabriel Burke here from the parish of Blarney in Ireland. And we're looking at hidden treasures, those people whose cause for canonization has either been stalled or maybe just haven't got enough people to back them. Today we're looking at Blessed John Sullivan, who was a Jesuit. Now the interesting thing about Blessed John Sullivan is his background. His father was the Lord Chancellor of Ireland. Now if you had been looking at the coronation of King Charles next door in England, you'd have seen a, a number of Lord Chancellors, the Lord Chancellor of England and Wales, the Lord Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, and maybe not at his mother's, but at his grandfather's coronation, there would have been the Lord Chancellor of Ireland. So his father had a very prestigious job. He had started out as a solicitor. Now, in Ireland, we followed the British system. So we don't have lawyers as such. We have either solicitors or barristers. And when you're doing things like property transaction, it's the solicitor you get. And when you start a case, you deal with the solicitor, who then gets you a barrister, and it's the barrister who represents you in the courtroom. And many barristers are specialists. So if you could see it as the solicitor being like the family doctor and the barrister being the specialist doctor that you're sent to for a particular thing. So that's how it's it's um, sorted in Ireland and in Britain and practically everywhere in the former British Empire. Now, Father John, his mother was actually Catholic. And so in a long tradition uh, that was there, the boys were brought up Protestant and the girls were brought up Catholic. And his... Um, his mother was Elizabeth Josephine Bailey, who came from County Cork, and they were prominent landowning people in Passage West, which is on the port of Cork. As you're coming into Cork, it would be on the left-hand side uh, when you're coming up on a boat. So there was a Church of Ireland called St. Saint George, which only closed down a few years ago, and that is where uh, Blessed John was baptized into the Anglican community. He had a sister, Annie, who lived till 1918, and a brother, William, who died in 1937. And as I said, the girls were raised as Catholics in, the, in a, a boat accident in Killiney. And he was sent to a very good Protestant school here in Ireland called Portero Royal School in Enniskillen, and it would have been a boarding school. So he studied there, and then he went to Trinity College here in Dublin, and he studied classics, and he won the gold medal in classics in 1885. And then he wanted to follow his father's footsteps, so he studied in Lincoln's Inn in London. Now, again, you have to explain that for to be a barrister in England, you have to go to various inns. 
Now, I know an inn sometimes is also a pub. And maybe sometimes there's not much difference between the two, but officially you go to an inn's. In Ireland, it's different. In Ireland, to be a solicitor, you go to the Honourable Society of Kings Inn. Um, but in England, you have various inns. You train there as, as a barrister, and then you're called to the outer circle. So you become what's known as a junior counsel, and then you're called to the inner circle, which means that you become a senior counsel. So he studied there, and like most young people at the time, he took what they called the Grand Tour, which was to go touring around the Mediterranean and places like that. And he went and he spent quite a while in an Orthodox monastery on Mount Athos, which is a semi-independent republic in Greece, now in Greece. And it's a kind of an island, maybe more of a peninsula. The only way you can get to it is by boat, and there are no women allowed. And there are hundreds of monasteries in this area. So he spent time there, and he actually thought of joining the Orthodox Church. And then he traveled from there to southern Italy, and it was there that he contracted smallpox. His father died in 1885, and so he had a nice, comfortable inheritance. And he used to, at that time as a layman, frequent the Sisters of Charities um, hospice in Harold's Cross in Dublin. It was where the, one of the first places the Sisters of, sorry, Sisters of Charity opened up. And he'd go there and he'd visit poor people and he'd give them fruit and maybe tobacco and things like that and help them out. And even after becoming a Jesuit, he was still known for visiting the poor and the sick. In 1896, he was received into the Catholic Church, um, not in Ireland, but in a very famous Jesuit church in London um, called Farm Street Church, which is still there today and is still run by the Jesuits. He decided to enter the novitiate of the Jesuit order, and he went to St. Stanislaus College in Tullybeg, which isn't too far from Tullamore, which, as you know, is a great whiskey-producing place where you get Tullamore Jew. So not far from that, he went to college, and he completed his novitiate, and then he was sent to St. Mary's Hall in Stonyhurst for his philosophical studies. He was then sent back to Ireland in 1904 to Milltown Park, where he studied theology. And he was ordained on the 28th of July in 1907 in Milltown Park by the Archbishop of Dublin, William Walsh. And one of the others we'll be talking about next time that was ordained with him was Willie Doyle, servant of God. He was then sent to Congo's Wood, which is a boarding school for boys in Clane, in County Kildare. And apart from about three or four years in Rathfarnham Castle, he spent most of his time in Congos. And he used to teach them the classics. And there's a story told of him visiting, bringing the boys to visit Trinity College. And 
the boys couldn't believe when they saw him speaking in Greek to one of his former professors. And they had a full conversation in classical Greek. And this surprised the boys because although the boys thought he was brilliant, he wasn't really a great teacher. And um, so, but they always had respect for him. While in Congos, he was well known for visiting the sick. And he either did that by walking or using one of those old high Nelly bicycles, big old black bicycle. And he was, if anybody had anybody sick, they'd send somebody down to the Jesuits to get Father John. And Father John was known for coming out. And even during his lifetime, there were many people claimed to be healed by Father John. There's a story told of a workman who was coming through Congos late one night and could see through the window late at night, Father John kneeling in the church praying. He was also known to spend five hours on Holy Thursday praying in the chapel. Again, he was known for looking after the poor and the sick and would always bring them little treats like tobacco and apples and oranges. Now, I suppose nowadays, you see, we're so used to having fresh fruit. But um, even in Ireland that I was growing up in, exotic fruits didn't really exist except in tins. You had apples and oranges. Most oranges came from Israel. They were Jaffa oranges. Apples depended on the season we were in. But you certainly wouldn't have had what we have nowadays with all sorts of exotic fruits like pineapples and things like that. So it was a treat for somebody to get some fruit. And he used to bring them fruit and things like that. Again, he was well known for visiting the sick and for praying. He started to get pains in 1933. And on the 17th of February, he went from the college to St. Vincent's Nursing Home in Dublin, um, which was run again by the Sisters of Charity. And he died on 19th of February, 1933, with his brother, Sir William Sullivan, at his side. He had been known in Congos for only having a small bit of coal in his fire to keep him warm. So even during the winter, his rooms were quite cold. And even though he was he ate whatever was given in front of him, that's all he would eat. He was buried in Congos. But as you know, um, Congos is out in the country, so it was a bit difficult for people, the locals could go to him. So Rome asked that he would be brought to a more popular church. And so his body was transferred in 1960 to the St. Francis Saviour Church in Dublin. So his cause went to Rome and his body was in Dublin. And for many years then, it lay there. And at the time, the Jesuits had a number of people for canonization. And so they decided to focus on one, and that was Father Sullivan. Then they had put aside the case of Father Willie Doyle, which we'll come to in another podcast. And so in 1960, 
the documentation and all for the cause of his canonization was completed and was given to the congregation of the causes of saints. And it wasn't until February 2000 that the congregation issued the official nil upstad to the cause, which acted as a formal introduction of his cause for canonization. And so there was a long old process, and in 2014, he was named Venerable by Pope Francis, himself a Jesuit. And he approved the and acknowledged the heroic virtue. And then there was a miracle needed, and that was um, approved in 2016. And so that opened the gate for him to be beatified. And so he was beatified in Dublin underneath the new rules that came with Benedict the Sixteenth. John Paul II had changed it and all beatifications happened in Rome. But Pope Benedict went back to the more traditional way, and the, which was that your beatification would be in your home country. And so it took place in 2017 in St. Francis Church, Francis Saviour Church in Dublin. There's still a big following for Father John Sullivan. There is demand for his profession crucifix, a little crucifix, that would be brought to people when they're sick. The people in Kildare themselves created their own monument for Father Sullivan. And so it was a great event for them. His canonization was unusual in that the Protestant Archbishop of Dublin was also present. And this was to remind people that Father John had been a Protestant and Anglican until middle age. And so to honor that part of his life, the Protestant Archbishop was invited to participate. In his own lifetime, one of the most famous healings was that of a young Michael Collins, who was born in 1925, who was the nephew of General Michael Collins, who had fought for Irish freedom and had brought about the peace treaty and the independence of Ireland. And he had a para, um, an infantile paralysis. And the child awoke one night and the doctors were summoned. And Mrs. Collins drove to the school seeking out uh, Father John. And Father John promised to say mass, but also rode his bike to their home where he touched the child's leg and prayed over him for two hours. And then the child was cured. And another famous one while he was alive was the cure of a kitty, Gary, who was 10, and she was suffering from tuberculosis. He blessed her, and the ailment left her. So there were just two when he was alive. He was also known as a man of prayer and taught the boys uh, in his school about prayer and about faith in God. And that's why the boys loved him. Even though he wasn't a great teacher in the classics, and he was a fantastic intellectual mind, but you often find that those who are very good in their subject are not always the best of teachers. And you can have men and women who are fantastic and could be doctors and everything, of, but terrible at trying to get that across to kids. But the kids saw something in him, and they loved him. 
And what it was that they saw in him was obviously Christ. He showed Christ to them. And by his acts with the poor, and by his going around looking after the poor, and the poor life he led himself was a great example to these boys. Because remember, most of these boys came from well-to-do homes. In order to be able to go to Clongos, you needed a good income. And so these rich boys were seeing this man who came from a very wealthy background and came from a very good background, living a very poor life, but also looking after the poor, blessing them, visiting them, bringing them little treats. And that was an awful lesson for them, to remember that there are people worse off than ourselves. And a little kindness goes a long way. You know, the biggest problem in the West today is loneliness. In fact, next door in the UK, they have a minister in the government, a minister for loneliness. It has become such a huge problem. You have telephone lines for the elderly to ring so they can just chat with somebody. That's all very nice. But it's even nicer when somebody comes to visit you. It's nicer when somebody comes to offer, you know, can I bring it to the supermarket? Can we go shopping today? It's nice just to pop in and have a cup of tea, or I suppose in an American case, a cup of coffee. But these are just simple little things. To smile on the street, you know, so many people go around with big frowns on their face. But to smile. And when you're in the shop, and the clerk is behind the counter, to be nice and polite and to smile and say thank you. These are little things that we can all do. You don't have to do great, big, fantastic acts of charity. Charity are little everyday things. The smile, the chat, the looking after others. Think of people in your own neighborhood who probably need somebody to chat with them, maybe somebody to cut their lawn, somebody to just sit with them and say hello. We can all do that. And that's the beauty of Blessed John Sullivan, those little acts of kindness, of looking after the sick and the poor. That's open to us all. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The preceding program was a Spirit of Truth Radio Arts original production in partnership with Salt and Light Catholic Radio. To find out more about Spirit of Truth Radio Arts, go to their website at www.castingthe.net.